You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Good morning. I, um, you'd kind of hope I say this every week, but I really feel like the Lord wants to do something this morning. I just... I think, are we, are we willing to respond to that? Are we willing to just catch the wave of what he wants to do? Um, if, if you weren't here right at the start, Steph read from um, Psalm 73, and she read this. It says, whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. It's kind of what I wanted to talk on this morning, really. Just a desperation and a hunger for God, regardless. And um, I sensed that in worship. Pascal mentioned it as she then came up. And I just turned the notices at a moment of just being absolutely overwhelmed and overcome in the spirit. Where I, I just think he wants to do something this morning. And I want to encourage you to catch the wave of that. Grab hold of that. Be open to that and receptive to that find I think in one of the songs we said we sang um, he gives us rest for our souls will you find rest for your souls this morning in the presence of God and um, this is a bit random but I just felt this morning there's somebody here and you came with a God you've got to speak today this is like your last chance you kind of laid it out it's like Lord I want that that word and it's got to be for me and I think it's around change I don't want to say it's a change of job but I think it's a significant change in your life and you came saying we're well, going to have to speak and um, well I don't know maybe maybe me saying that is it <laughs> but um, I couldn't not mention that some of you will be joining us for the first time this morning and we've been working through a series on the gifts of the spirit the, the spirit of God gives us gifts to build ourselves up to build each other up to build the church up and to impact the world and if you've missed any of them I'd encourage you to catch up online because as we speak in series it kind of builds but whilst I don't want to kick that into touch and just park that and say we're done. I felt so strongly the Lord nudging me this week just to redirect things a little bit for the remainder of this term. So I don't want to stray off track, but I kind of am going to. You wouldn't have known that, but the plan I did have has gone out the window a little bit. Over the next few weeks, I um, not only want to look at the gift of healing, but I want to dig in a bit more into that. What is inner healing? What is physical healing? What, what when we don't get healed? And so we're going to look at some of those things, uh, look at the gift of healing and some of that a bit more broadly. But before we, today, before we do, today I just want to look at prayer. Um, the Lord has been birthing something in, in Steph and I personally, but I believe he's stirring something more widely among us as a church. And I just want to take a, a one-week look at that um, together this morning. So for those of you who've just heard me say the word prayer and you're now feeling um, guilty and a sense of failure and a, a sense of, oh gosh, no, I'm faith, yes, but prayer, no. I just want to encourage you to put that feeling aside because that isn't what this is this morning. That is, this isn't a moment to work out all the places where we haven't or where we aren't. I think this is more of a bugle call 
to take up arms, to come together and to man the pumps. And, you know, you, you probably couldn't escape it, but with all of the D-Day commemorations recently, I, I've just been reflecting personally on my awareness of, of the war and various wars. And I often used to chat with my grandma and granddad, and they told me many first-hand experiences that they'd had of the Second World War. And um, they lived in Hull and were heavily bombed in, in that area, partly, I think, because of the... Um, the docks, but my granddad was bombed out three times. He was in the RAF. My grandma used to work in a muni munitions factory. And uh, even as a young child, I can still remember now just seeing the effects that rationing had had on them and the significant impact that had throughout the rest of their lives. And when um, we used to stay at their house, I'd stay in uh, this bedroom that had a... Um, a wardrobe, it was like wall-to-wall, ceiling-to-ceiling along one of the, the walls. And it was kind of like, the best way I can describe it is it's kind of like Narnia. When you see something like that as an inquisitive child, you know you probably shouldn't, but you just want to have a little peek. And um, I don't do that now. If you have me around your house, don't worry, I'm not going to raid your wardrobe. But you just had to explore it. And I knew that my uncle had built this wardrobe, and I couldn't reach the, the top cupboard unless I moved the bed towards it, put a chair on top of the bed, and then stood on top of the chair. And it was a bit precarious. And, um, but it was worth the risk, because I also knew that one of these little folding top cupboards was where my grandma kept the Christmas presents. And she was slightly focused in buying Christmas presents in January. So you knew whatever time of year we went, there was always going to be something in there that could kind of activate your intrigue. Is that for me? And um, the other way of getting to this top cupboard was standing on, me, um, on my brother's shoulders. You couldn't sit on him, it needed a bit more, so I kind of stood on his shoulders. And one day my grandma's walked in as we were opening the middle cupboard of this wardrobe and, and opened it up. And we just had this moment of, like, my grandma is now in the room, it's a little bit awkward. But how, how do you have the conversation about what we've just found? I kid you not, there were... <sighs> There was at least 50, I would say, I think there was 60, two-kilogram bags of silver spoon sugar. And we're like, what? What's going on here? This isn't the kitchen, but even if it is, why is this in the bedroom? And um, it was like, Grandma, have you got a sweet tooth? It took us ages to work it out that she was stockpiling. It was part of the impact and the effects of, of the war. Sugar was non-existent or would have been heavily... Um, rationed and it was a major luxury and as a result of that experience she was stockpiling and um, they they had wall-to-wall uh, -wall thick curtains downstairs like there was no light would have been let out you shut those curtains you wouldn't have seen the light from the outside and if if you ate a meal or were cooking or anything you wouldn't waste an ounce of food nothing would have been waste again the impact of the war and the mindset that then went on to affect their everyday lives so often, we don't realize it, and we don't live like it, but we're at war, and bombs are dropping all around us, and yet we walk around in civilian clothing, acting like we're civilians. And I think we've got to sharpen up. We're in a, we're in a battle, we're in a spiritual battle, and um, part of that battle is, I would say, one of the key strategies of, of the enemy is to take out or to water down, or to 
confuse or to obstruct our communication and our contact with God and that whole relationship that we might have with him in, in, in the first place. Is it by chance that many people would say that they find um, prayer or reading their Bible a really hard thing to do so often? That they would often reflect, oh, I just feel in a, I feel in a dry season. I feel in a hard place with it. Of course you do. Because that is enemy strategy number one. Textbook, take you out at the first hurdle, take you out at the very point of communication and contact. Now, there's many ways that we could look at prayer today. And um, really what I want to do is just stir a hunger and a desperation in us for God. An unstoppable longing in your heart to pursue God with everything within you. On uh, this last Monday morning, I was out with a few of you at quarter past seven in the city sometimes we've done it we've just gone prayer walking and um, honestly it broke my heart once again just to be among the people of the city to be in some of the places to see some of the challenges to see so many people just walking in their own lane doing their own thing carrying on like there's no access or knowledge even of totally oblivious to the love of the of the father for them I never forget once doing it, I'm just walking through Piccadilly Gardens and there's this guy urinating in a bin, seven in the morning, that's his toilet. And you can't not have your heart broken when, 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 you, when you see things like that. We've, we've got to be a people that pray. We've got to be a people that long to see a, a tidal wave of change among the people of this city. And Jesus in... Um, in the time leading up to his crucifixion, he spends some time crying out to the Father and he asks his disciples to pray. And then he goes on a bit further and has some alone time with his Father ahead of them. And he comes back and they're asleep. It says this, Matthew 26, and he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? I, I just felt so convicted by that this week we've got to we've got to be awake we can't be asleep we can't have a time and a season where we find ourselves asleep on this and so I want to look at prayer briefly this morning around three points as I was thinking about this I thought Do you know what <clears throat> this I think it's been far too long and you probably some of you have been before you feel like you're you're missing out in fact I've probably gone pl completely off track how will you be able to cope and how have you coped this long without all of the points beginning with the same letter. So um, I work quite hard. Um, it's going to be persistent prayer, prayer in pain, and prayer as a pleasure. Now, if there are elements of what I'm saying that doesn't quite fit into those points, gosh, please ponder the potential problems positioning points pertinent to beginning with P. It's not that easy to do, so, but that's where we're going. If nothing else this morning, some of you are just going to be like, I need to pray for Steph. Uh, you, do, you do. So, so persist in prayer. That's, that's the first thing. Some of you are prayers. You really are. I'm challenged, encouraged, inspired, delighted. I, I need your prayers. We all need your prayers. And um, you pray. You pray ready, regularly. You pray methodically. And you carry prayer. It's, it's really quite remarkable. For many, I think it feels more seasonal. There's good days, there's bad days. You often feel like you're failing. Sometimes you feel guilty about it. And 
because you can't live in that place because it feels quite dry and hard, you kind of just park it. You stick it in a separate compartment on the scrap heap because you can't live there because it's too hard work to keep feeling like you're failing. And I guess that's the place I want to speak into. I want to inject, if possible, a bit of life. I want to stir it afresh and say, go again. And actually, for some of you, not just go again, but go in the first place. We've got to, we've got to pray. We've got to have a desperate longing in our hearts. And I think I would say Jesus' utter intimacy with the Father has always startled me. I've always found it quite remarkable. As a 12-year-old, he's in the temple in Jerusalem, and Jesus explains to his earthly parents, he says it, you can see it in Luke chapter 2, he says, but why um, did you need to search? He said, didn't you know I must be in my father's house? Didn't you know? Didn't, didn't you get it? I've got to be in my father's house. I've got to be doing his business. I've got to be close to what he is doing. And do we have to be in the father's house? Is, is that like the yearning of our hearts? It's like, I've, I have to be doing my father's business. I'm so desperate and hungry. I've just got to be there. And Abba and Emma, daddy and mummy, would have been some of the first words that a Jewish child would have spoken. Abba is so personal. And yet to them, such a familiar term. How dare they, or how would they have even dared to consider using that as a way to address God, the God of the universe? Well, they, they wouldn't, not until Jesus. But with Jesus, it's different. As I said, I'm so regularly startled by the utter intimacy that Jesus has with Father God. And I know many of you will find that Abba language painful because you have been, would have been or may have been inexpressibly hurt by your own human fathers or by human relationships and dynamics. And I, I, I grieve for those of you wounded by the terribly painful and often destructive experiences like that. I pray you would know and experience the grace and the healing that so often I found in the arms of the Father, and I pray you would know and experience way more. And I, I weep for that with those of you that weep over the loss or the absence of fathers and, and those relationships at times. But honestly, though, regardless of human experience, and I, of course, don't say this lightly, and I don't say it to downplay your pain, we have to hold tightly to the fact that we receive our understanding of how human fathers are supposed to function by looking at God the Father, not the other way around. And the prayer, the cry of our hearts, the intimacy, the desperation and the longing has to be one that cries out, Abba Father. I mentioned it just a few weeks ago, Galatians 4 says, and because we're his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba Father. He prompts us to call it. He prompts us. He gives us the mechanism, the insight, the heart leap to cry out Abba Father. And we need the Spirit of God to stir in us so desperately a hunger to seek him and to thirst after him. And I guess I just wanted to start by saying we've got to persist with that. It's his Spirit that causes you to yearn for that, to be able to even understand or comprehend that. And of course, Jesus is relationship with his father is unique but experientially we're invited into that same relationship with God the father that he knew whilst Jesus was here on earth in the flesh and we're encouraged to 
to crawl into the lap of the Father and receive his love and his comfort and his strength and his healing, a place where we can laugh, a place where we can cry and a place where we can come freely and openly. And I, I would say that, I think, is one of the war rooms of prayer. It's that intimacy. It's one of the places where it starts. It's very simply the Holy Spirit praying within us, causing us to yearn and to long for it. I think there's a number of people would reflect on this. Three types of prayer. There's the prayer of the lips, the prayer of the mind, and the prayer of the heart. And that's the place of the heart where we enter into the realm where the Holy Spirit is the initiator of prayer. It's the Holy Spirit who creates it and it's the Holy Spirit who sustains it. It's some of what I mentioned last week actually when I, I read the passage in Romans 8 where it says and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants to pray, wants us to pray, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groans that can't be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows that the Spirit what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Don't you love you're not left to your own resources to cope with problems, challenges and burdens. You're not on your own. Even if you don't know the right words to pray, the Holy Spirit prays with you and he prays for you and God answers those prayers and hears those prayers. Can I encourage you? Persist in prayer. Persistently persist in prayer. Now, what, what does that look like? Well, I just wanted to make it as practical as I possibly could. That's kind of where I hope to go this morning. I, I want to encourage you to go out of your way to pray more than you currently do. So for those of you that are already thinking, well, guilt, failing, I haven't, I couldn't, I won't, I've tried before, I just want to encourage you to pray more than you currently do. That would be my aim this morning. We've got to persist at it and we've got to consistently find ways to persist. So here's just a few practical thoughts that I think might help. I'd say pray out loud. If you find praying hard, pray out loud. I, I regularly do, otherwise my mind just wanders to thinking about bacon or you know whatever it is. Um, I, I try and pray regularly at certain times in certain spaces. I'm, I'm not trying to be religious. I don't want to encourage a religious heart within it. I just think it can help to fuel it and to, it to be regular and quite intentional. I often find in the morning, if I'm in the car, I will regularly pray in that time. I just find that a good space for it. I set myself reminders. I don't naturally remember. I wish I did. Some, many of you will, but I set myself reminders to pray. I have a couple of reminders throughout the day on my phone, prompts me to pray. I try and pray through my diary. What am I doing? Where am I going? Have then more dedicated prayer slots around that, things I'm committing to. And uh, I think one of the advantages of writing some of the things down then is you can actually track it. You don't just drift in and out of prayer, but you know the arrows that you're firing. You know what you're focusing on. Recently, I would say, quite remarkably, some of the things I've been praying for, I've seen answers to. I only know that because I can look back and say, I, I was praying for that. I was stepping out in faith for that, and I can look when I started praying for it. Prayer needs and prayer takes persistence. We've got to be persistent at it. I often 
pray on the treadmill. It's often a time or a, like a place where I'd pray. Again, you've got to be careful because my mind can wander and you just fly off the back of it. But find what's the, what's the place, what's the time, what's the part of your day that you can just up it a little bit, not just praying throughout the day as many of us do and will, but actually it's dedicated times for it. Sometimes I think it really helps to have a focus. What are you praying for? If I don't have a focus, it just becomes a nothingness. I just drift around. Where do you start? How do you know the difference? I've often found the Acts model helpful, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, almost praying through those things. I just start adoring God for who he is, confessing stuff, thanking him for things, and then supplication, which really just means stuff we're praying for, stuff on your heart that you're praying into, things you're involved in, friends, family, situations, other people, specific people to come to know Jesus. Do we pray for people to come to know Jesus? Do I pray for my children, their friends, that they'd share their faith with their friends, their interactions with them, some of the parents that I rub shoulders with? Um, I have different days that I pray for different things, just find it keeps me a bit fresher. You can even get apps now. I mean, of course you can get an app for it, but you can get prayer apps that just help you with planning that and thinking that through and prompting you and praying over different days. I'm certainly not trying to make this religious for you. If that feels religious, that's not what I'm trying to do. I just want to encourage us to be intentional in persisting. Some people regularly pray with others can be really helpful i try and create just in my mind a culture of prayer prayer as i'm doing something or moving from or to something i guess the question would be how can we not if we have to be in the father's house i just have to be in the father's house about my father's business and i, I want to suggest two things just to push us a bit harder into this the first one is could you create a list of 10 people who don't know Jesus, who you're going to pray persistently and regularly that might come to know Jesus and you'll pray for them until they do. Honestly, I think it will surprise you and it will surprise you some of the openings and opportunities you get even personally with them as a result of praying for them. The second one is, I really believe we need to up our game with this. We, we kind of can't go in 10 years, oh, we probably didn't pray enough. It's like we can't keep floating on. We've got to go, no, we want to pray more. And so... I want to suggest starting this week, sorry for those of you that are uber planners and have already thought it through, but um, on, with the Wednesday small groups, why don't we say at 8 o'clock, you start some prayer, and as a church, let's pray for 24 hours and kind of round it off with the Thursday small groups at 8 o'clock. And um, in the period in between, let's pray. Let's pray and commit to 24 hours of praying. Some of you will want to fast over that as well, but let's just pray. And my encouragement would be, pray more than you have. It don't have to suddenly go to four-hour player slots and lose the plot. Just pray more than you have been praying. What can you pray for? Gosh, where do we start? Pray for your ten. Pray for your street. Pray for the church. Pray for the city. Pray for the leaders. Pray for small groups. Pray that people would come to faith. Make a list of things you could pray for. If I just walk into a prayer time, I get lost in my own thoughts and my own mind. There's some little cards available as you leave, and if you've been here a little while, we've, we've kind of used them before of things we were committing to praying, and we built them around the acronym of, of the word Manchester, and miracles. I'd love to see. I'm sure you'd love to see more miracles, signs and wonders among us. Pray for Alpha. This last Alpha course, we saw more people do it as the weeks went on. That is quite rare and quite unique. It's amazing. 
I'd love, we'd love to see more of that. Pray for your neighbours, for interactions with them, for other people's neighbours where it's hard that we'd see some of them come to faith. Pray for child poverty, one of the greatest unmet, unseen needs of the city. Pray for healthy relationships. One of the key strategies of the enemy is that he tries to cause us to fall over each other and fall over others. We've got to pray for healthy relationships. Pray for empowering leaders. If we're going to grow and see all we believe God has put on us, we've got, to, we've got to empower leaders. Pray for small groups. Again, I think the enemy goes for them. It's the place of community. It's the place of being really known and grown and discipled. Pray for 10,000 homes. Again, you might remember we committed to praying for the 10,000 homes around this venue. And as we did, we started to see lives changed and dynamics shift. We got, let's not give up on that. Let's pray again. Pray that people would encounter Jesus. Surely we'd long for that. Pray for a raising of a generation. If we're not passing the baton on, if we're not handing over to the emerging and believing for a raising generation, surely we've, we've lost the plot. Let's be praying for some of those things. If you don't know what else to pray for, I'd say pray for some of those things. Let's press in again for those things. I'm, I'm excited for this because I can't think of any significant move of God throughout history that hasn't been initially raised and birthed in prayer. We, we need to invest in the war room. We've got to, we've got to persist in prayer. Not a one-time prayer, but we've got to persist in our prayer. The, the second thing is, um, so if it's persisting in prayer, the second thing is prayer in pain. Pain can take us out. You know, the role of the enemy is to kill and destroy. I'm sorry that's not a particularly positive or pleasant thing to say, but it's true. You know, John 10.10, 10, the, the, the thief's purpose, it says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. You know, I mentioned Jesus' disciples falling asleep. Jesus was just a little further ahead of them praying. We read it in Mark 14. It says this. They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter and James and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here a while. Keep watch with me. He went on a little further, fell to the ground, and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus placed himself in the place of intimacy with his Father, even though he was in the place of pain. Really quite remarkable. Often pain can cause us to run from God. This caused him to press in harder to his father. He said, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. And yet he cried out, Abba, Father. Yet even in pain, he chose to fully submit and to trust his father. Please take this cup away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Your will, not mine. In the place of pain, he's still like your will. Your will, your will. I will be obedient. Prayer in pain is really important because often pain can be the thing that pulls us away from intimacy with the Father. But if ever we've needed it, it's in that season. We can find purpose in pain. We can find praise in pain. We can find a resolve and a trust for God in pain. And it's really quite a remarkable thing. Sometimes I think it can be helpful to call out your pain 
acknowledge where it might distract you and acknowledge what it is that might pull you from intimacy with the Father. So what's, what is the pain? What broken relationship, unresolved conflict, not having a dream or desire met, unfulfilled promises, financial burdens, health challenges, anxiety, depression, loss, bereavement, past emotional or physical traumas, fear, loneliness, exclusion, bullying, comparison, misunderstanding. What is it? You'll know what yours is. But find yours. What's the pain that could rob you of the place of intimacy? Jesus said, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. And yet he cries out, Abba, Father. You know, Steph and I have reflected a few times this last week on some of the challenges we've, we've faced in those times and in those seasons. The voice and authenticity and your trust in the Father can, if you choose and allow it, can flourish. Steph reminded me a number of times this week of a quote by Spurgeon. He once said this. He said, I've learned to kiss the wave that crashes me against the rock of ages. I've learned to kiss the wave that crashes me against the rock of ages. Man alive, like learning to kiss the wave, finding a peace and a steadying in the very thing that causes you pain. Because if we choose it, if we choose it, it can push us closer to the Father. Just because we experience something hard doesn't mean it naturally or automatically. It doesn't naturally, unless we choose it, allow us to come closer to the Father. But if we choose it, it can cause us to cling to him. In 1899, Mr. Spafford was known as one of Chicago's most successful lawyers and businessmen. And through the years of investment in real estate along the shores of Lake Michigan in Chicago, it paid off handsomely for him and his family. In 1871, he wrote to his one of his friends and he said this, he said, I feel like I'm sitting on top of the world. He had a loving wife, he had four beautiful daughters, he had a very profitable business empire and he had a successful law practice. He owned a great amount of land and estate and had prestige. Who would have thought that a single action of a, of a farm animal could change all of that? But that's exactly what happened. One night, Mrs. O'Leary's had a, she was milking a cow and it kicked a lantern in the barn and it triggered what became, as many of you will know, the great fire in Chicago. In just hours, Mr. Spafford's wealth burnt to ashes. He told one of his friends that he'd lost the whole business empire. The only thing that he had left was his university diploma. Although absolutely devastated by his financial loss, it was actually his wife who suffered the hardest with it all, and his doctor recommended the thing that may help her to lift her out of this period of depression would be um, going on a vacation. He arranged to send and to go with a family on an extended trip to Europe. Just prior to the scheduled departure, he received a phone call about a pressing business matter in Chicago, and he said to the family, why don't you go ahead of me and I'll join you later. Somehow in the middle of the ocean, they've strayed into the path of a British ship, both traveling at full speed. Within 12 minutes, 226 people lost their lives. Seven days after the accident, some of the survivors landed in Cardiff in Wales, where this Mr. Spafford received a two-word telegram which, from his wife, which said, saved alone. He booked the first ship bound for England and he was sitting on the deck of the ship's captain came to him and approached him and said, Mr. Spafford, we're approaching the spot where your daughters now rest. 
instead of being grief-stricken, as you would have thought he might have been, he said a peace of the Holy Spirit came over him. He remembered the words of a dear friend, D.L. Moody. Moody once said to him, one of these days you're going to read that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of that? I will be alive, more alive now than I am now. Isn't that amazing? Even what D.L. Moody said, I'm like, wow, that is amazing. I'll be more alive then than I am now. Rather than cry, he smiled, he rushed to his cabin, he picked up a pen and paper, jotted down the words that were suddenly on his heart, of which many of you will now be familiar. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. You know, I can't say I have faced many of the things many of you will have faced. I can't say I've carried or experienced many of the experiences or things you've been through. I don't seek to lessen your pain or to mask your pain. But what I do know is Jesus said this, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. And yet he cried out, Abba, Father. In that time and in that place, he called out in pain, Abba, Father. Whatever my lot, he has taught me to say it is well. It is well with my soul. Would it be that we would learn to kiss the wave that crashes us against the rock of ages, to be people that persist in prayer, even prayer in pain? And finally, prayer as a pleasure. Every now and again, I have a, a sudden burst for selling stuff on eBay. And uh, I've, ne I've never been great at it. I just love the final moments where a few people might be bidding and you make like a couple of quid. It's, I don't know, it's electrifying, even though you make about three quid. But um, I've made very little money, but it always feels a better way of selling stuff rather than just binning it. And uh, about a month ago, rather than selling something, I, I bought something and I went to collect it and it was just a beautiful day. It's sometimes felt rare lately. I'm like, the sun is shining, the windows are down, and I've got my shorts and flip-flops on. I've got my shorts rolled up to the same length. And um, I, <laughs> some of you will understand that. But I, I, I get on the road where I'm collecting this thing, and it starts to rain. It's like, that's kind of Manchester. And uh, by the time I've parked the car, turned around on the street, worked out where the house was, parked the car, it's like raining, raining. Not just raining, but, you know, like rain, rain. And... Uh, it, I, I'd need you to get it. It was like Noah would have been building an ark for this moment. It was like proper rain. And um, it's ridiculous. We've gone to blue sky, beautiful day, not a cloud in the sky. To all I can see is like black thunderclouds. Streetlights need to be on. Windscreen wipers are on full, but still not doing anything. You know when it rains like that, you're like, what is going on? So I made a dash to this person's house who's selling this thing and I knock on the door and I ring the bell and I knock on the door and I ring the bell and I'm getting soaked and they don't answer the door so you're in that moment of like do I wait or do I run back to the car but I'm really now wet so I just knock on the door and I ring the bell nothing and I brave the floodwaters back to my car to get the umbrella and um I, I, we've got no brolly in the car apart from my daughter's little like Mickey Mouse brolly that barely covers my head so I'm like <laughs> I'm like this, and I, I run back to the house, 100% wet through, having soaked the car, just opening it for like the split second. And I'm banging on the door, and the lady answers the door. And she looks at me like, what are you doing with that umbrella, you donut? And, um, and she says, do you want to come in? 
and I was like, well, it's a bit pointless now. Like, oh, I'm, I'm all right, don't worry about it. And uh, I grabbed the thing I'm buying, and I, I kind of waddle back to the car, 100% wet, soaked through, barely able to walk because, and I got mud between my flip-flops, and I'm just slipping all over the place. And I jump in the car, soaking, and I drive off, and I kid you not, within about three minutes, not a cloud in the sky. It's just like beautiful, glorious sun. Only in Manchester could that happen. Um, moral of the story is, I should have spent an extra five quid and bought it on Amazon. Because by the time I've driven there, for the petrol of my time, it's like extra five quid, sack it. But anyway, do you know what I found really interesting was when I was wet, I was wet. It's like, do you want to come in? Nah. I'd rather just stay in the rain now. I'm wet. Psalm 143, verse 6. I lift my hands to you in prayer. I thirst for you as a parched land thirst for the rain. I thirst for you as a parched land thirst for the rain. This, this is a cheesy link, but I've kind of warned you, so that makes it okay. But I just think we've got to drench ourselves in the Father. <laughs> We've got to have the reign of the Father. The, the, the love of the Father sometimes, it can be like a, it can be such a sudden rain that pours forth that when, sometimes even when you least expect it, that it can catch you in wonder and praise and unspeakable speech. And I don't want to make it about me, but I just had one of those moments a minute ago in notices. I'm like, I mean, Pascal, you did a great job and it's not what you said, but I'm, notices it's not the minute where the spirit of god just lands on you and you are overwhelmed by the the love of the father just soaks you and uh when it happens i want to say don't put up an umbrella don't protect yourself don't run from it just drench yourself in the rain of the father and do everything you can to stay there are you hungry are we hungry and desperate for this honestly can i ask you that are you hungry and desperate for this because I think when we are we can't not pray I have to be in my father's house I have to be about my father's business I want to encourage you to step into that place use this as a push use the 24 hours as a push if you do that spend some time doing that pray for each other that we would do it I'm praying for you that you will have and know a greater intimacy with the father I think there's a there's a sign-up for it that will be emailed round. I want to try and cover the 24 hours. I think it's important. I think we need this war room. But in these times of prayer, speak words of love and compassion to the Father. That might feel for you quite a strange and an unnatural thing at first. You might feel quite unused to loving or knowing God in that way. In time, I think you'll find language for it because it becomes... The soaking rain of the Father becomes an overflow of the love that is really quite natural. We're commanded to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. I want to suggest that you start by allowing him to kindle in you a fire of love within that develops in you a deep ache in your heart. An ache in your heart that whenever you step outside of that closeness for any length of time the ache activates and you just have to be back in his loving presence you're just drawn in again it's the it's the draw and the pull of a greater affection it causes you to leave behind the unhelpful stuff and you get drawn into his presence 18 years 
after Jesus said, I have to be in my father's house, he begins his public ministry and he rises out of the water, having been baptized. And we read this in Luke chapter 3, verse 22. It says, the heavens opened, the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you're my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. Isn't that amazing? The love of the father that he longs to lavish on us in the same way he did to Jesus. Again, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Mark 9, then a cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. The soaking rain of the Father, he just wants to pour the love of the Father onto us in these times. Of course, the enemy tries to stop us and kill and destroy that dynamic, that war room, that relationship, that desire or hunger or desperation for prayer. Of course he does. Because it's the very thing that's going to pour the love of the Father onto you. Jesus experienced the intimacy of the Father, not only in the pain and the agony of Gethsemane, not only in the valley and the dry, hard place, but also on the mountaintop experience and in the delight of the transfiguration. Of course, all of that is just a glimpse. But the reality is the intimacy was part of everything Jesus did and said. The intimacy with the Father, it's all he really did. That's what I've always found staggering. He was just had this intimacy with the Father. The whole of Jesus' life is this prolonged Abba experience. Daddy, Dad, Daddy, Dad, Father. If we're hungry and desperate, it, I think it changes everything. It will change how you worship. You'll never worship the same. It will change how you work, how you interact, how you rest. Acts 17 verse 25 says, And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. It's found in him. The pleasure, the experience of pleasure, the fullness of pleasure, the prayer as a pleasure, the pleasure of, of prayer as a relationship, as a conversation with him, is found there. It's life in its fullness. Verse 27, it goes on. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps fail their way towards him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and exist. In him we live, we move, and we exist. I think when we, when we realize that, when we find pleasure in praying, is because we're chatting with the one who formed us, who knows us, who loves us, and who longs, deeply longs to lavish that love and that security onto us in those times and in that place. Why don't, why don't we stand together? Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.